Regarding some general statistics for high school dropouts in America, nearly 1 million students drop out of high school annually in the U.S. Dropouts have a lower annual income by about $10,000 compared to graduates and are unemployed at over three times the rate of college graduates. 65% of all employment in 2020 required education beyond high school. Less financial stability often leads to higher frequency of cycling in and out of the criminal justice system. As much as 67% of convicts in state jails and 56% in federal prisons did not finish high school. For women specifically, dropouts are most likely to be single mothers among women and girls ages 16 and 24. Fortunately, Dropout rates have been steadily declining over the past few decades, especially for Hispanic and Black students. According to data gathered from the U.S. Census Bureau and Pew Research Center, although still making up the groups marginalized with the highest percentage of dropouts, compared to past years have seen the lowest rates for Hispanic students reaching 14% and Black students reaching 8%. Regarding why students drop out and how schools can help, students are more likely to drop out for a vast variety of reasons, including but not limited to if they lack academic support, if they need to support family members, if they have a history of abusing drugs, or if they have mental disabilities that have been inadequately adjusted to by educators and institutions. Students that find themselves in situations that emulate examples as these, and many others, often have a history of absenteeism, grade retention, and overall academic trouble. Unsurprisingly, often these students are seen from socioeconomic disadvantaged groups that struggle with more responsibilities than many of their peers. Unfortunately, this often correlates with students' racial identities, with Hispanic and Black students having higher dropout rates. One-third of the country's recent high school dropouts quit in the ninth grade. Such an age is correlated directly with the student experiencing significant changes in peer influence and reduced parental supervision upon entrance into secondary schooling. Research has found that disciplinary practices, such as suspensions, are not helpful for students becoming academically discouraged, only worsening the student's perspective towards education. Instead, schools need to become more aware of warning signs, such as attendance, and actively support students at greater risk. Our team is showcasing the work of Boston Public Schools Reengagement Center, which partners with the Boston Private Industry Council to help high school dropouts finish their general education. The program offers students access to the resources and counseling they need to re-enroll in school. The REC is one of the first programs of its kind in the nation and is the only BPS program that targets dropouts. Staff reach out to dropouts via mail, phone, and door knocking and build a rapport with them by sharing their own stories and listening to students' experiences. Prior transcripts are reviewed to determine the best course of action, and students may choose to enroll in a local high school, night school, summer classes, online credit recovery, or an alternative program with a nonprofit partner. Students are given personal support throughout the process, and upon completion, staff follow up with them and connect them with community support services like life and career workshops.
In 2023 alone, 638 students are enrolled. 46% of them are female and 54% are male. My name is Lex, and my teammates Dylan, Harry, Danny, and I sat down with Angie, Manny, and Aaron from the Reengagement Center in Boston, Massachusetts to discuss why students drop out of school, how dropping out affects the students and their families, and how the Reengagement Center is working to re-enroll students back into school and help them complete their education. Aaron, awesome. Nice to meet you. Uh, also, Manny and Angie, nice to meet you too. The goal here is to highlight the amazing work that the REC does and the ways in which you guys benefit the community and how specifically that helps the individuals that you uh, assist in getting re-engaged back into school and all the other services that you guys offer as well, because we know that it's not just re-enrolling into school. You guys help a lot with the family and just with mental health services and transportation. So um, a lot of positive things that we want to ask you about. So I'll say maybe, Harry, if you want to start with the first few questions about yeah. demographics and all of that. Yeah. Um, hey, Angie. Hey, Manny. Here, and um, I'm Harry from uh, REC team. I have a few questions to ask you guys. So what are some of the demographics of the students you seek out or that ask you for help returning to school? You know, we have students who are really in transition really trying to figure out a, a pathway and come with a lot of different things that may be going on. It can be simple. Some students are just sort of frustrated with education in general. Some students might be struggling academically. Some students may be moving around a lot, experience death, lost someone in the family. You know, some students may just be having a challenge in their school. Some have, may have dropped out and been out for a month, for a year, for two or three years. Incarceration comes into play. There's a lot of different things. And I just say that to say is, you know, our job is not really to judge. All we do is we talk, we categorize, and then we just kind of uh, try to find pathways to graduation. But I just wanted to say is like our, our policy is usually, and just to talk about an intake process just a bit, how this happens is, you know, Many of us been through things um, like, you know, interestingly enough, Willie was um, Angie's professor as well. Angie, you know, had a child during college. I dropped out of school. Many of us been through something and we sort of kind of tell our stories and our experiences and then students tell us theirs, you know, and and then and then from there, we we then move the conversation to academic standing, like where they stand. And then we talk about graduation options. So I just wanted to say that because the numbers don't really tell a story. Honestly, um, and honestly, they're less important than the students themselves and the other things that I just mentioned. How long do most students take to finish their high school education once they're involved in the REC program? How long is the entire process or program? It depends on the student, really. The average student who we work with is usually overage and undercredited and usually is two years off track. Most, most of the time. But we also work with students who have one and two classes to the left. Aaron will tell his story later and kind of where he's at. You know, we have students who are 20 and have no classes. We have students who are 17. We have students who come to us and literally have all the classes passed, just need to be processed for graduation. So that's why it's really imperative that we have the conversation. And also what makes us, I would say, unique 
is the fact that we're inside the school system. You'll find like a lot of people who do re-engagement work are outside the school system. And the reason why that's important is you don't really, you can have a, a conversation with someone, but without actually looking at their transcript, I mean, you guys have advisors. I mean, I go back into my college days, right? I think I'm on track. I go see my advisor and they're like, no, that's the wrong class. Or, you know, you really need this or blah, 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 right? You don't really have the information you need to make the correct decision. Right. And so when you have that life conversation and then the academic conversation, you kind of get a sense of where they're at. But the average student is two years off track. Great. Thank you. Are there any challenges or difficulties you guys come from while helping these students? The majority of the students that we work with are coming with certain things that just aren't straight up. And that's why they can't either finish school or not attending school. Or, you know, it's it's been harder for them to kind of, you know, stick to a routine of being successful in a school setting. Um, I think a lot of the times we encounter students who have had to start working to kind of help their families. We see that a lot after the pandemic, where a lot of family members lost their jobs and the students had to kind of pick up work and prioritize that to kind of help their families. So things from work, things from like teen parenting, not having childcare to go to school every single day and that not being consistent. So that really affects their attendance. Things also like not finding the motivation to go to school. I think if a student has struggled and they haven't found a motivational piece that's like, I need to go to school and getting my degree, my diploma is important because of this and I want it because of this, really doesn't allow them to stick to the the process. So sometimes it's us really just having them look at why getting their graduation requirements are important and graduating. So we kind of do the whole, okay, this is what you need, but you need your graduate, your diploma because you want to get a better paying job. You want to go to college. You want, you know, to be successful. If you're living in Boston, it's super expensive. Without this, you really aren't going anywhere. So I think those are some of the challenges. I think a big one too is sometimes parents want this more than the students. And that really is a hard one because we need to get the student to see why it's important for themselves as well, not just the parent. Usually when we get a student that is the one that's like, I'm just doing this because my mom wants me to go to go to school. If I don't go to school, I can't live in her house or whatever it is. That student usually doesn't stick to any of the schools we send them. And we end up seeing them here again, probably like two, two years down the line when they've had a reality check that they actually do need their diploma. So those are definitely some of the constant challenges that we see here. All right, great. Thank you. Daniel, do you have any questions to ask? Yeah, absolutely. Erin, I wanted to talk to you about more like along the lines of your personal experience and just like your story or your anecdote in regards to the REC staff, uh, your process of getting started and uh, where you find yourself now. Of course. So for me, I guess I can kind of start back with junior year. That was kind of just where everything got a little bit shaky for me. Had a lot of things going on in life. Of course, COVID had basically gotten to and high and it kind of was just staying at a climax. And I have a very big family. So with that came the loss of many, many, many family members. So it was more so kind of just like funerals got just as just as frequent as kind of just school days, if that makes any sense. Like some days I was at school, some days I was at funerals. And then sometimes it was I wasn't lucky and caught COVID from a friend and then I was home for a week. And that got very consistent. And then when I got back into school, I went to Boston Latin Academy and it was a good school, but 
it was very difficult when you miss a lot of time consistently. When you come back in, you kind of have a two-week mark, and it's just a lot of work. So if you can't make that two-week mark, then it's a problem, and it kind of can shoot back and hurt you. And in my case, I was able to get through junior year and got to senior year, but with it consistently happening like that in my life, it just got even harder. And then adding on the process of college, it just got to be too much to bear to the point where I needed a fresh start. I guess I really didn't even explain it to too many people, but in the process of going through that and being far behind, sometimes it got a little bit too hard to like feel like I would graduate, even though I've tried my best each and every day. So fast forward to March and it became something where I could no longer bear just being behind like that. I just knew that if I just kept down that same track, I wasn't going to graduate this year and I'd be class of 24. And with me, college is a very important thing for me. And I know that with me wanting to go to college out of state and really just have a new fresh start and a new view of life in a different state, that that would need to happen sooner rather than later. Once I spoke with my guidance counselor, they gave me the number. And once I contacted the rec center, it was very, very easy. The transition was easy. It was very quick. And once I got over, it was just straight into work. One of the biggest things that I enjoyed was when I had first came in, Manny was able to speak with me and another peer of mine and just really set his story and how he was kind of just really here to see us improve and see us do the best that we can do. And the whole team was. And beyond just him saying that, I think I can speak more than words. And I kind of feel that each and every time I'm able to come in. You know, Aaron started talking about the pandemic. And I think, I guess that's a good starting point. Because if he wasn't frustrated before that, and if there wasn't challenges before that, you know, every challenge and every piece of stress came up to the top for us personally, everyone had to reconnect back into school, right? Because the school system had their ways of trying to deal with things. The government was trying to deal with things. Everyone was dependent on everyone else. No one was clear about what was going on. And then like Aaron said, all these people were dying. The job itself became harder. As he's struggling, the, his support system who's supposed to help him is struggling and stressed out as well. At the same time, right? The definition of a dropout was different. I take a kind of community approach, right? Me doing this work is more than, I mean, Aaron's obviously a winner. I'm, I want to see him go to college, right? That's the same guy who's going to walk through my community and interact with my kids I'm going to interact with him at the mall. I'm going to interact with him. We want to pull up each other in the light when I'm driving the same streets, right? The stronger he gets, the better he gets, right? The stronger the community gets, right? So one at a time, you know, we got to kind of build each other up. So I'll leave it there, Angie. Um, I know you have one to add. Yeah, I'll definitely talk about my experience as a BPS student and now um, my experience working in BPS. So I grew up in a family where both my parents only spoke Spanish. So the involvement my parents had in school was very limited. Thankfully, I was in a bilingual program, which still existed back when I was in um, elementary school and middle school. But there was no real parent involvement um, because the language barrier was was there. Right. And growing up in a household where, you know, my mom was on Section 8, like she had to work. Um, My dad was the same way, right? I grew up born and raised in Jamaica Plain, went through, you know, all of BPS schools. I think barriers that I saw was this idea that, you know, schools didn't really make it accessible for my parents to be able to kind of be involved, right? It was like, these are the times that were available to do meetings. You can either make them or you can't. The paperwork they used to send wasn't always in Spanish. So I was like, 
seven years old translating letters to my mom that they sent from school. So those are some barriers that I face kind of, you know, growing up. And then the idea where I went to Bryan High School in London, Jamaica Plain. It used to take me like an hour and a half to commute from my house to the school. The teachers didn't really ask where I was coming from. The teachers were like, oh, you're 10 minutes late. You have detention. It's like, you know, those are kind of barriers that our students face all the time. And I don't think a lot of the times because of how life is as a teacher, you don't take the time to acknowledge those things with your students. And those are crucial to kind of getting your students through the door every single day to making sure the students feeling welcomed. That sense of community that Manny was talking about is huge in a school setting. And I think after the pandemic, we all really lost a lot of that. Now as a professional working in BPS, I kind of see the opposite lens of why things could be so difficult and why they're so challenging, right? So like we get students who have ELD levels, right? Who um, are Spanish speaking, are, um, you know, Cantonese speaking. And these issues still kind of arise as much as we wouldn't want them to be. They're still there. Yeah, sometimes some mailing goes out in the native language, but it's not always present. So it's still things that we're working with and we're struggling with. And I think being a part of the re-engagement center and working here, I try to kind of minimize those things that I knew were struggles when I was growing up for my parents. So like getting students here and seeing it that I can be helpful, whether it's like explaining an IEP or uh, like a, an education plan that that student has that the parent didn't even know existed in the native language is one of the reasons why I really love what I do. Even like you know, finding a school that's closer to the student is really helpful for that commute. So that's kind of the barriers and kind of ways that I've tried to help them out and advocate through my process. What do you consider to be a successful outcome in your work? Uh, Aaron, why don't you start? So for me, I think long term, I guess that's kind of been me my entire life. So like, I kind of laugh at the things I do. But like, since I was a little kid, I would be four, I would get up in the morning on a Sunday vacuum my carpet for an hour and that would be my success for the day because my room was clean and now that I'm older it's more so just those aspects of how I'll be able to grow not only in life for myself but for those that I can potentially bring to life in the future or those that are going to be younger in the future that I can impact and help myself so I think the way that I kind of define success is based off of where I want to be in my future for me I don't plan on stopping until I know that I am in a place where I can know that for me and my future family, that they don't have to go through any of these challenges that I went through as a child. And I know that's kind of something that you hear a lot, but I guess for me, my kind of will and desire to be there just pushes me beyond what I ever thought I could do. Thank you so much for sharing that. Expand the question to Angie and Manny as well. I guess it's different for each student, but at what point do you feel like you've reached a successful outcome when you're working with a student? So I think you're right. It's different for every student. I think when we meet with a student and we see their real challenges, just the idea of them being able to slightly overcome them because or start trying to overcome them, I think that's a success for us. It's also a success them just showing up to the interview for the school. A student that has been absent from school and hasn't been in school all year, and then they come to the re-engagement center, they do our intake process, and we tell them, hey, you have an interview this day at this school, and them showing up and being present and speaking to the, um, the, inter- the person who's doing the interview, that's a win. That's a success for me. I think also this idea of when we hear a student 
call us back or send someone and refer them to us that we worked with initially. And when that person comes through the door, they're like, oh, we're like, oh, did the school, did you get, a, did, were you referred from your school? And they're like, no, you actually met with my cousin a year ago and they said you guys really helped them and they really like the school they're in. Um, that's success because if, if they're out there talking about our program and us um, as individuals that way, then we did something right. Either Even if they didn't stick, they remember us in a positive way. And I think that's what we wish for everyone that comes in through the door. Um, and then the final thing is graduation, right? Like a student who, you know, we've seen in school for four years and then we see them in that summer graduation or we go to the alternative school's graduation and they're there with their cap and gowns holding their daughter, that's success for me, for sure. Yeah, I would say, I would same thing with Angie saying, the real success is to for, to get students to graduate, right? That's the real one. But in order to, in order to feel good about the work, you gotta kind of break it up in sections, right? The first one is when students start, start taking responsibility for their life, like their calling, not their parents are calling, right? That might not necessarily lead to graduation. And, and, and I wanna say this too, Outcomes, the problem with outcomes is that when we have programs and we have these organized systems, institutions, we define our success in timeline, right? So I'm talking to Aaron now, Aaron needs to graduate by the end of the year, or I wasn't successful. But in real life, you get in these conversations, you don't know how a person's going to get inspired and how long it takes, right? I used to hate school, hate it. I hated going there. I hated it. You know what I mean? And I didn't understand why I was going there, what was happening. And I needed hood people who can translate the world for me in a way that made sense. Because, and I don't want to say that in any judgmental way, just I came from the hood. And so some concepts and ways of life, I just had no idea of. Like I, downtown Boston, I'm a 6'2 black man and downtown Boston rejected me. They looked at me as though I was a dangerous criminal, although I was a regular person. Right. And so I never wanted to go downtown Boston. Downtown Boston is traditionally where all the good jobs are. Right. So in a way. And then so in college led to one of the good jobs, which was going to put me downtown with the people who don't like me. So it almost didn't make any sense to me to go through school. There was a series of conversations. I realized, like, I don't have to give up who I am and what I am to be a successful contributing adult. And when I started to understand those things, it changed the way I thought. So the point is, when students come in to the re-engagement center and they take that first step, the first one is, I'm going to stop doing things on my own. The second thing is, you know what? I'm going to take this algebra class. I have no idea what I'm doing and I feel inadequate doing it, but I'm going to do it. That's the win, right? Some students start, stop. I don't see them for a year and a half. They come back and then they start again, right? But the, but the, but the point that I'm saying is that Programmatically, success is broken up in students showing up, passing classes, and then graduating. But from a community standpoint, right, and a, and a, and a human development standpoint, success looks way different. And the reality is we may be planting the seeds to seeds for a successful adult that might not materialize until 25, right? And so from the standards of education, we failed, but from the community standards, we haven't. So that's why I just kind of approached this whole thing with hope. That's beautiful. I really appreciate that approach. First of all, Aaron, thank you so much for sharing your story. And also Angie and Manny as well. Thank you so much. How did re-enrolling and getting involved in the REC affect your mental health after 
they got involved in helping you get back into school? I'm actually really, really glad you asked that question because mental health is actually my dream and going into the future, that's what I want to do. So definitely with me transitioning over, it wasn't a straight, I'm automatically mentally in a great place when I transitioned over. It was a different space, but life was still life. But I think one of the biggest things that I enjoyed about the re-engagement center is they are all very patient. So I'll have some times where I'll be in school and then other times where I'll miss a long, long period of time. But at the same token, I can know that they have my back at home and I can be able to do my work from anywhere. And I know that if I call in that I have somebody that answers the phone and I'm always going to get the help that I need. Literally, like today, I got a call. Um, I had called in rather and Angie answered the phone and I was able to get right to Manny. So I think for um, me, I think on the mental aspect of it, just the feeling of community that me spoke of, that helped me to get myself to a place where I felt like I was comfortable and could really work on me. I think many people can't start to make that self-improvement until they're in a place where they are genuinely comfortable and not just where they can say it and not necessarily feel it. So where I can say it and I can feel like I'm 100% comfortable, I can start to make the mental improvements in my life where I can now start to make physical improvements in my life. and. Overall, I feel like the re-engagement center was like that essential seed where I now know and I have my eyes open to what it takes and what I need to do, not only before, but after college. I just want to say thank you, Aaron, for your answer. That honestly was really moving. The purpose of us having this talk with you is ultimately to raise awareness for this program in the hopes that maybe down the line it'll it'll reach more popularity and have a greater effect on the community. So with that, we really just want to know what you as part of the organization would want the world to know about why you do this work and why it's important at the end of the day. I think one of the biggest things is you can't really define people by what you see outwardly because internally they have a lot of things going on and I think the re-engagement center, one of the biggest things that they do as they should um, really just pride themselves on is they have that aspect of meeting people where they're at and making people feel comfortable. So I think for a lot of people, and if they hear this, that have either dropped out or may have had something gone on in life where they have difficulties with school, whether they are enrolled right now in a school or not enrolled in a school, I think one of the biggest things is this place is comfortable and it's actually a family and I feel comfortable enough to know that I'm reaching out even after I graduate and go on to college if they are fearful of what's to come and really just what is ahead of them and they are lost the re-engagement center doesn't have the exact answer but they have the exact pushes necessary to help you find the answer that you need Thank <laughs> you.